0: These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Welcome to the Unchanging Word
1: Bible Study. Dr. John G. Mitchell often asked a question that is still inscribed on the library wall on the campus of Multnomah University. Don't you folks ever read your Bibles? It is quite evident that he did. Dr. Mitchell once forgot his Bible in his office when he arrived to teach a graduate level class on the minor prophets. Without a pause, he quoted the scripture for the day, word for word, from memory. Dr. Mitchell knew his Bible. Many were blessed by his Bible teaching, and today we invite you to share in those blessings by listening to The Unchanging Word Bible Study. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed,
2: Calvary, life the unchanging word welcomes you to this study in John chapter 17 verses 1 through 3 with Dr. John G. Mitchell. In John 17, we enter into the Holy of Holies with Jesus, who is speaking with his Father in heaven. Jesus is about to go to the cross by which he would glorify God and then be raised to life never to die again. And Jesus said in this prayer, This is life eternal, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Dr. Mitchell will discuss eternal life and what one's response to Jesus, the giver of life, should be. So turn with us in your Bible to John chapter 17, verse 1, with our teacher, Dr. Mitchell.
0: Today, friends, we again come to you, and again may I say what I've been saying. We're now in one of the most amazing portions of the Word of God. And I speak of John chapter 17. We've been dealing with the truths from chapters 13 through 16. And our Lord's last words in 16 were, In me you'll have peace, in the world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Now we come within the veil. And sometimes I feel like saying we ought to take our shoes off or where we stand is holy ground. We're coming right within the veil into the very presence of God. And God permits us to hear what the Lord Jesus has to say to him concerning you and concerning me. If ever there was a chapter that ought to bring us to our knees in worship, in adoration and praise, it's this chapter. And I was pleading in our last lesson that you read the chapter through at least a half a dozen times. Read it audibly. Read it every day while we're discussing it. And may the Lord, by the Spirit, make it so precious to you that you'll become a real worshiper with a heart full of thanksgiving and praise to the one who loved us enough to die for us. In our last lesson, I gave you quite a little introduction to the chapter. I shall not repeat it, except to say just this one thing. In the first five verses, we have the Lord Jesus and his Father. Then from six on down through, we have the Lord Jesus and his disciples. And then when you get down to the end of the chapter, you have the Lord Jesus and the church. Verses 1 to 5, Jesus and his Father, and the great word is glory. Then 6 to 19, you have Christ and his disciples, and the great word there is that we might be kept. And then we have Christ and the church from verses 20 through 26, and the great theme is there that we might be one. I'd like to read again the first five verses of chapter 17, Christ and his Father. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Now we were speaking in our last lesson about that at the cross, the important thing was really not so much your salvation, though that's included, I don't want to rob you of any joy or delight you have in your salvation. But the hour is come for the glorification of the Son and the glorification of the Father. And we are part of that program. And The hour is come, the central hour of all time, and may I add, of all eternity. This was the hour to which the prophets were looking toward and prophesying. From the time he was born, Our Lord came into the human race, born of a virgin, left his place in glory and took his place in humanity. The Great passion of his heart was the glorification of his father. The will of his father might be accomplished. Even as a boy, 12 years of age, don't don't you know, I must be about my father's business. On the cross, the great passion was what? He died. I have finished the work you gave me to do. He's still occupied for the purpose for which he came, the glorification of his Father. Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son may also glorify thee. Now, we spoke of this in our last lesson. Now, shall we go on? In verses 2 and 3, he speaks of the fact that eternal life is guaranteed, to all those who come to him by simple faith. Let me read the verses. As thou hast given him, Jesus Christ, authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. as thou hast given him authority over all flesh. Do you ever think of it? Our Savior has authority over all flesh. Here is one in whose hands is universal authority. He's the only one who has universal authority. He has authority to give life. He has authority to save. And may I add, he loves men and women enough to die for them. He can take the flesh, all kinds of flesh, and subdue it, control it. We can't. He does. I've thought about this. You and I ought never to fear anyone's flesh. Do You know... The thing that has encouraged me in this, I've been over in different parts of the world, and I've seen some of these young women bless their hearts. They've been redeemed. They've yielded their life to the one who has all authority over all flesh. And they've gone in the most unexpected places, places where if a man were to go, they'd be killed. Women have gone in. In fact, I could speak of of some places where in tribes where missionaries have gone and they've killed them. And a young woman has gone in with the love of Christ. And the first thing you know, there's been a transformation take place in the whole tribe. Men and women have come to know the Savior. Why wasn't the girl, why why wasn't the young woman afraid? No, she had a Savior who had authority over all flesh. You know, sometimes we quote that verse from Deuteronomy, underneath are the everlasting arms. That's true. That's true. But I tell you, my friend, the one who has all authority over all flesh is the Savior. Jesus is talking to his Father, and he says, Father, as thou hast given to him all authority over all flesh, that gives peace of heart This gives rest of soul. This destroys fear. Perfect love casteth out fear. Men can come along with their rage, and they can't touch a believer, unless the Lord permits it. Death, man's last enemy, his worst enemy, can't touch man, can't touch a believer, unless he says so. You see, friend, death has been robbed, been shorn of its fear, of its power. You have that in Hebrews chapter 2, 14 and 15. To deliver us who through fear of death were all our lifetime subject to bondage. Our Lord defeated death as well as the grave. And as Revelation 1.18 says, he holds on his girdle the authority of death and of hell. That's why I say, Death cannot touch a Christian, one of his children. In fact, it becomes the open door for a believer now to go into the presence of his Savior. We say, good night, earth, good morning, glory. Death has no more authority over the believer. I tell you, friend, it's a wonderful thing to know that my Savior and your Savior has all authority If someone's going to raise a question, then why doesn't he manifest it with all these nations at war? Let me tell you something. God is not responsible for wars. This is man's doing. This is man's day. God is not dealing with nations today. God is dealing with individuals. God's working all things out after the counsel of his own will. And remember, the very essence of God's heart toward men is love why he sent his son. If all of us had our just deserts, we'd be under the wrath of God. No hope for any one of us. But Christ having satisfied the righteous character of God, God now can show mercy to any man or to any woman. I don't care who they are. Which the rest of the verse says that he should not only have authority over all flesh, but he has authority to give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Unless someone says, well, I don't have eternal life because God didn't give me to his son. Don't you alibi your unbelief. God has put into every man's heart, every woman's heart, the capacity to either accept or reject the Savior. Jesus said in John chapter 5, you will not come to me that you might have life. It isn't that they couldn't come. They wouldn't come. They wouldn't come. Take Matthew 23, I would have gathered you, said the Lord concerning Jerusalem, the Jews in Jerusalem. I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you would not. The Lord has eternal life to give eternal life to anyone. Just like he said to the woman, the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, when he said, If you knew the gift of God, if you knew the one who was talking to you, you would ask of him, and he would give you living water. Well, where have you got the living water? Ah, woman, if you drink of this water, you'll thirst again. If you drink of the water that I'll give you, it'll be in you a well of water springing up into everlasting life. You had it in John chapter 5, verse 26. The Father hath given to the Son to have life in himself. That is, Jesus is the source of eternal life. And you have it in chapter 6 of John, 63. He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. In fact, in John chapter 6, it's over and over and over again. Same thing in John chapter 10. I am come that they might have life that they might have it more abundantly. I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved. Any man enter in, he shall be saved. Shall go in and out and find pasture. Then he goes in chapter 10, verse 10 rather, and says, I give eternal life, abundant life, satisfying life. No, friend, he gives an abundant life to those who put their trust in him. He has the authority to give life. Now, show the next verse. This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Again, I say in John 1, 1, 4, in him is life. In John five twenty six, he's the source of life. In John chapter 10, he's the abundant life. In John chapter 6, he's the satisfying life. How do I receive it? All the way through, he that believeth on me. Ninety-eight times believeth on me to believe on me. Put your trust in me. Put your trust in me. Notice this word, to know. Is not an intellectual knowledge. This is experiential knowledge to know thee, to come into relationship with God by simple faith in Jesus Christ. Just like you have it in John fourteen six, I am the way to the Father. I'm the only way. No man cometh to the Father but by me. And as dear Peter could say, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I want you to get this thought into your heart. What is eternal life but relationship to the Father and to the Son? We must know Him. It's what you have in 1 John 1, verses 1 to 3. That eternal life which was with the Father was manifested unto us. We've seen him, we've handled him, we've touched him. Because I on to say that when you put your trust in the Savior, you have eternal life. Not life for a moment, not life until you backslide life, that's eternal life. But there must be relationship. Now, I'm saying this for the purpose, and I'm repeating some things I've said so much over the radio, over this program. And I said, because my heart is heavy, there are literally thousands upon thousands of people who belong to churches. All their lifetime they have known that Jesus Christ died to save sinners. They know all the historical facts that our Lord came into the world to save sinners, that he was buried, that he was raised again from the dead. But my friend, there's been no personal relationship to him. What I'm asking you today is this. Have you personally received Jesus Christ into your own heart and life? Or putting it a different way, have you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior from sin, from death, from hell? To know him is to love him. But to trust him means life eternal. This is life eternal, that they might know thee. And I say again, this is not just mental knowledge. This is a personal relationship to the Savior. You know, we sing it so often in different hymns we sing. uh, There's no other ground upon which to stand. All other ground apart from Christ is sinking sand. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. But there must be relationship. Now, let me put it this way. If I want human life, I must come into relationship with those who are human. I was born into the world, into the human race, because of a relationship to my father and to my mother. I was born into the world. They had a son. and They call him John. I received the same nature they had. My father and mother are dead. That is, they've left this scene. They're now in glory. If the Lord Jesus tarries, the day is going to come when I too will die. That is, I will leave this body, this body in which I live. I'll go to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. We call it death. Death is separation. When I leave the body, I'm dead. Now, I have that because of my relationship to my father and mother. If I want eternal life, then I must be related to someone who is eternal. That's why, in First Peter chapter one, the Apostle Peter says in verse 23, We have been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And it's by this word the gospel has been preached unto us. Eternal life is is given to those who are joined to an eternal God. But how can I be joined to an eternal God? Through Jesus Christ, he's made the way. It's God's proposition, not mine. Men today say to me, well, Mr. Mitchell, as long as you're sincere in what you believe, it's all right. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Listen, friend, listen, friend. Sincerity will never free you from sin. Sincerity will never cleanse you from sin. Sincerity will never fit you for the presence of God. Now listen, God has made the provision God has made the provision. God guarantees his provision. God guarantees eternal life to as many as will receive his Son. He that hath the Son of God hath life. He that hath not the Son of God shall not see life. The difference between eternal life and eternal death is Jesus Christ. God has given to the Son to have life in himself I'm quoting again john 5 26 and here our lord says in verse 3 this is life eternal that they might know thee the only true god and jesus christ whom thou hast sent why make it profound why not just take the simple word of the lord jesus christ take a verse you all know god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him, puts their trust in him, receives him into their life, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. This is what you have in 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 through 13. Oh, you take the, this is the record of God, which is given concerning his Son that he hath given unto us eternal life. It's a free gift. You can buy it. You can make requests for it. You can't work to get it. It's a free gift from God to any sinner. The qualification is you must be a sinner. And all of sin and come short of the glory of God. The Scriptures have concluded all under sin. God hath concluded all in unbelief. The qualification is a sinner. But Mr. Mitchell, I'm not a sinner. Christ only died for sinners. When the woman said to her pastor, I wish you wouldn't talk about the blood of Jesus. It's nauseating no to ladies and gentlemen. And he said, yes, lady, it's right. I thank God he didn't die for ladies and gentlemen. He died for sinners. And this is a faithful saying and worthy of your acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And our Lord adds, of whom, uh, Paul adds, of whom I am chief. This is life eternal, that there might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. O oh, friend, you can receive eternal life right where you're sitting, where you're standing, right now, if you will put your trust in Jesus Christ, as your own personal Savior. And I'll guarantee to you, you'll pass from death to life. For in him is life, abundant life. And you can have it now, because he is waiting to receive any and all who will put their trust in him. So you put your trust in Christ today, and I'll guarantee he'll not only forgive you from your sins, but he will give to you the free gift of eternal life and may it be yours today